we just put my daughter to bed mm-hmm. for a nap. Uh, we played her some music before, too. Uh, she does not like Bob Dylan. Oh, boy. She doesn't like Bob Dylan at all. It actually really uh, upset her. And you her. played Must Be Santa Claus for her, right? I played... Uh, yeah, about sixteen times. Yeah, I was really, I was trying to, really trying to get her to to dig into that song. I, I had on one of those like Apple playlists, and it started off like real mellow, like it was like a folk mellow thing, and then it went from like Leonard Cohen, and then there was a jump to like a Rolling Stone, mm. which I feel is like not, it's not a great segue out of that because that's she was, too like, much for a newborn. A lot, it's a lot, and she was very calm from Leonard. You know, it was like Suzanne or something. Yeah, yeah. She was just like drifting, you know, and then it was like. Uh, I think the, just the opening line, I think she, he got to once upon a time and she was crying. So thank you, Bob Dylan, for disturbing my daughter. That's me on the podcast, sharing a song with something to say about it, with Thin Lear and Niagara Moon. In my opinion, I, I I think I'd like to go first. I feel okay. Like I feel like I deserve to go first today. I think Daddy's earned his uh, right to to take it before me. Daddy's earned his right to go. F- <laughs> Daddy's earned his right to go first. Um, if you're not tired of the Daddy stuff by now, uh, this is losing my opinion. I'm Thomas Irwin. Mm-hmm. I'm Matt Longo, aka Thin Lear. Can I do that? Is that uncomfortable? To do that or no, the, you did it. You're only known as Thin Lear. That is your only other alias at this point. It's official. Uh, I am also known as Niagara Moon. Okay, but you can call me Thomas. Thomas. Okay. Uh, this is a podcast where we are showing each other songs. We don't know what to expect, and we don't know what the other person's point is. Sometimes they don't quite know what their point is. But uh, point being, uh, Matt, you're going to show me something today. I feel attacked. Immediately, really, I feel I feel attacked. Uh, I feel like that was a shot at me. Where is this coming from? Uh, I was actually I was I was just listening to some of our older podcasts and that ELP episode. We were very vicious. I feel like I want to apologize to ELP fans right now, um, not for hating the music because I can't change that about myself. But that's just nature. Yeah, well, that's just right. That's just the right feeling, but. Uh, I I do I feel bad about how hard we went on them, but that was a rough song. Do we that you brought in. Do we really feel bad about it? <laughs> Keep going. Yeah. I guess not really. Uh, I just don't want. I don't want to get. At- I don't want to get attacked by uh, synth wielding dudes dressed as wizards. I don't want to get attacked by them. Yeah, those synths are heavy, um, and they might drop them, and it's expensive. Uh, so we were talking last time about how uh, when you're really, the more you love something, the more difficult it is to do a podcast on it. Uh, And I was really waiting for the right time to tackle this subject. I mean, you know, uh, listeners will will hear uh, you. you, I I thought you did a great job, but you feel like you you struggled with a band that you you feel really passionately about. I, I feel somewhat confident in my podcasting abilities like to, to maybe do this justice, but probably not. Uh, it, it's a lot easier to go on and on about things I dislike. Uh, I'm not sure what that says about me, but that's for probably a different day. It's just easier to pontificate on things that aren't close to your heart. But my argument today is about the greatest live album of all time. 
uh, for Ooh. years, my favorite live album was The Who's Live at Leeds. Uh, uh. Just because it sounds so energetic and, and kicks so much ass for like the entire runtime. Um, I think the simple key to a great live album is, does it make you feel this undeniable urge to want to be there when it was happening? Mm. And would you give anything to be in the audience? Uh, for this reason, love James Brown's Live at the Apollo, oh. MC5's Kick Out the Jams, mm-hmm. Stop Making Sense. I know you probably I dig. I like that one, yeah. Um, at Folsom Prison. You know, Nirvana Unplugged, as played out as it might be, is pretty fantastic. Yeah. But my favorite live album, and because what, what we say on this podcast is the, is the indisputable truth, really what we're saying is the best live album of all time is Sam Cooke's Live at the Harlem Square Club. Uh, and, and I'm not going to, just right up top, I'm not going to take any crap from you today. <laughs> I'm really not. Uh, I swear to God, I'm coming in hot. So I just wanted, yeah, I wanted to yeah. say that right off the bat. I'm coming in hot with this one. Uh, so ha- have you heard this record for, for starters? I have not. I have heard quite a lot of Sam Cooke. I think this is going to blow your mind. I really do. I've, uh, it's not surprising to me to hear that he would be, you know, an, obviously an amazing live performer. Um, I didn't know that. I mean, it only figures, but I, did, I wasn't aware of any live recordings of him. But I, I can totally see that, that magic coming through. Um, so yeah, I, I don't expect too much resistance today, thankfully. Yeah. So what makes it so great though? You're going to have a lot of, you're going to have a hard time editing this episode. I just want to say mm. right, right up top, uh, because I'm just going to talk a lot. Okay. So strap yourselves in and here we go. So let me give you some context where I'm coming from here before I beat you into submission with this. Uh, it'd be hard for me to think of a voice I love more than Sam Cooke's. So like, Oldies radio. I was a kid in the backseat of my parents' car. I'd hear songs like Cupid, Wonderful World, You Send Me. Classics. It's just like the smoothest, most polished, melodic voice you've ever heard. Uh, And it sounds stupid to say out loud, and no one will agree with this, but when I first started singing, I I really did try to approximate his voice. Just like that light, airy, melodic sound. Exactly. Exactly. But if you're going to try to imitate somebody... That he's a good one to try to imitate. Um, and you can all go listen to my voice now and uh, laugh at how much it doesn't sound like his. But my heart was in the right place at the time. Uh, so those smooth classics. That's Sam's recorded sound. And his recorded sound is wildly different from his live sound. Uh, I'm talking about like polar opposite Ooh. of his records. Whoa, what's that mean? It, it's, it, means, it means gritty. It means raw. It means DIY sounding. Uh, and the knock against Sam is that he doesn't have like too many truly great recorded albums. You know, he's got amazing singles, great compilations. He obviously. wasn't in the era of the album. Was not, especially in pop. M- maybe Nightbeat. That's a that's a great record, but I, I don't think he has too many albums that people are going like that's an established classic. Um, I went away from Sam for a while in high school when I started watching TRL, uh, but once I was in college, I heard the soul stirs on college radio in particular, this song called how far am I from Canaan? And it was just like this dude pushing gospel music towards pop in the early 1950s. It's just, it was so exciting to listen to all those soul stirs singles are classics. I want to do an episode at some point just on that song because it had such an effect on me. Uh, For any non-religious folks out there, and I'd include myself in that category. For all the hours I've listened to that music, I really hope that gets me into heaven. Um, maybe. We'll see. 
But anyway, so he started digging through his records at that point. That's when I first heard his, his two live albums, uh, Sam Cooke at the Copa and Live at the Harlem Square Club. At the Copa is amazing in its own right and is just like a great companion record to the one we're talking about. But Live at the Harlem Square Club, it's just in a different stratosphere. Uh, to give you some context, this la- his label, RCA, haha, thought it was too gritty and raw and it was going to ruin his pristine image. Uh, uh, so, so that gives you some idea where we're headed. He's a clean cut guy. He's a, he's a clean cut fella. Uh, this album is grittier than most of the punk records that I've heard. It's grittier than the Sex Pistols oh, by a million oh miles. Uh, I'll, I'll stand by that statement. I'm going to stop talking for a second to let you hear this. Um, I want to start off with the most important moment on the record, mm-hmm. and it's his vamp before Bring It On Home To Me. Have you ever heard that song? Oh, little girl, how happy I would be, right? Um, I don't think those no, are the No, no, that's Bring Your Love To Me. These are all the same. They all, they're they all awesome, and they all mix up in my head. Like the- Okay. Okay. You, you vaguely approximated the melody, so okay. uh, I guess it was sort of close. Uh, this, for me... And it's going to sound insane. This is one of the single greatest moments in recorded music. Oh, boy. Uh, and that might sound like way over the top, but it's really how I feel. It sounds massive. Sam Cooke is really damn good, though. People need to know. <laughs> People need to know. Uh, this is the start to the song, and he's just vamping, and he goes through like six different genres, and it's just like, it's heavy. Oh, boy. Uh, let, let's, let's go in and listen so now. this is Bring It On Home to Me. This is the intro to bring it on home to me. Live yeah, at the Harlem Square Club. I uh, I got a quick question just to derail you for a second. You know, touch the hem of his garment. Yes, I love that. that song. His vocals yes. in that one—that's always the one that stuck out. Is like, wow, this guy can really rasp it out. I like. I feel a lot closer to you as a human being that you that you now that you brought up that song. I could just touch the hem of his. He really—he's hitting the the peaks in that one. That's a, that's a good tune. I recommend he that is. one. He is. I, I mean, it, it's uh, it's such an exciting gospel sound, and you hear like you just hear pop in it, uh, and that that's how far am I from Canaan? That song in particular. I mean, there is a similar feel to touch the hem of his garment, but there's just this moment where you you just hear gospel music pushing towards pop, and he's just tearing it at the edges. It's really amazing. But thank you for bringing that up. I love that song. All right, so yep, let's go. Lord, I said I begin to feel all right now. I feel I can tell you about my baby right now. <laughs> I said I feel you in a mood for me to tell you about my baby right now. When did he die? Sometimes. 64. Baby, so about two years after this is recorded. And my baby leave home because things ain't right. <laughs> Oh, but I get the feel. It's a James Brown energy here a little bit. It's so getting the audience alone. more and more riled up. And I call my baby on the telephone. I finally get somebody on the telephone. And I say, who is this? Somebody said, this is the operator. I said, I don't want you, operator. I want my baby. Baby. And finally the operator 
get my baby on the telephone. And children, the minute I hear my baby say hello, something starts to move down inside me. And I say, I got a message for you, honey. I want to tell you that, darling, you... Holy oh, shit. I want to let it get into the to the track. Uh -huh. It's coming. It's quite the build up. I tell her, listen here, baby. I want you to listen to this song right here for me. Got to tell you, I feel right now. This song gonna tell you how I feel. I know you've been going away from me a long time, but listen, baby, if you ever change your mind about leaving, leaving me. Yeah, the actual song's like almost almost incidental after that tension there. Yeah. That is just I mean my heart rate gets elevated every time I hear that. It's just it's 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 James Brown, it's Led Zeppelin, it's Sly and the Family Stone, it's Iggy Pop, and it's Sam Cooke too. And when I first heard the bit, it was like, okay, maybe I don't understand this dude. Like maybe this artist I really love. And I value for things that are totally different from what he's doing here. Yeah. There's a whole other dimension to him that was never fully revealed. Fired up. Uh, what are your impressions hearing that? He kicks ass. I mean, I knew that from the get-go. If his life had not been taken so, so prematurely, and I have no idea, by the way, what the details are on that, what the hell went down uh, in 64. But if he had not been taken from us so soon and if he had lived to see the rock era you kidding me 67 68 going in the 70s he would have turned it up i feel i so i have i wrote down i wrote sly and the family stone i said why wasn't this released in 75 so to, i want i want that's a really important point that you just brought up because so it was recorded in miami at the harlem square club uh which is confusing uh in in 62 and Sam was like firmly established as the king of smooth, fun soul music. But after he finished it, RCA was like, eh, this is not a record we're going to release. Yeah. So they shelved it. Uh, and then it came out in 85. Good Lord. Like, you can you me? imagine a worse year for this sound uh, to come out? No. If this record came out in like the late 70s or mid, mid to late 70s, I think it would be widely regarded, one, as the best live album of all time. And two, I think punk would have grabbed it uh, and, and ran with it. Uh, I think this record is pointing towards Sly and the Family Stone. I think it's, I think it's pointing towards punk, too. Yeah, it's, that rhythm section at points is so heavy. That's like some... Uh, you know, people talk about that song Ticket to Ride as being one of the first like almost heavy metal level, just like 
you know, drone kind of pounding rock songs. But there, there was some moments of what you just showed me that I'm like, this, this would have been loud. 63? <laughs> well, 62. 62. 62. Jeez. See, the big problem with Sam Cooke is he left us right before pop music got cool. He got stuck in the corny early Ed Sullivan show, like wear a nice tie and don't scare the white people era. Like he got, you know, that's when he made his moves and then, <laughs> uh-huh. you know, he was limited to that time. I mean, one thing that happens, I mean, we're, you're, we're, you're very clicked into what I'm trying to say today. I think maybe because I was so uh, defensive and uh, <laughs> aggressive at the beginning. Uh, the, the thing that happens on this record beyond these like mind bending moments of energy is that he turns those smooth hits into just barn burners like you that was you send me like he merged you send me which is a really sweet like yeah. almost like not king cole kind of a song yes his his classic just sweet romantic number yeah and he took it and he made it like modern that sounds modern if i heard a band playing that in a club uh now i would be like these guys are amazing hells yeah uh i want to i want to listen to another tune that is, is speaks to your point of like oh sam kind of got he got stuck in the era that he was in. Uh, it's a song called Having a Party, which you can is pretty self-explanatory lyrically. Yeah. Talking about having a party. Um, but I want you to hear what he does with it. It's not a song that blows my mind, like the recorded version. I like it because it's him. But It's pretty forgettable, uh, It's not yeah. something... Yeah, yeah. Oh, this is the way the song is meant to be heard. Exactly. How do you sing like this night after night? don't know i don't know um without pulling a muscle i'm not sure uh but it's just like it sounds like the most fun anyone has ever had on stage going back to our checklist of like what makes a great live album does it make you want to be there yeah (laughs) i want to be there i want to i want to be there witnessing this it sounds like he's lighting the stage on fire uh and and to your point of what you were saying before of like um that's that's the sort of uh, syrupy sound that's that some of his his uh, classic records has. This doesn't have that, and you're almost like, oh, this is the core of the song, and he's just presenting it in this this really gritty like DIY sounding way. Whoever recorded and mixed this, like, I love that they were quote unquote incompetent for for the time. Oh, I love hearing all the crowd noise. Job. That's like perfect for this. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. They they had so much trouble mixing this thing. There's, there there are three different mixes out there. And and crowd noise is one of the things that was eliminated from one of the mixes, but like it it makes it, it makes the album, because you hear people's jaws dropping. If you're gonna do a live album, you should hear crowd noise. Come on, that's part of the experience, I think. Right? Yeah, you don't want to hear like uh, to be able to hear a pin drop. Is I kind mean, of... like hearing the the audience in the uh, live at the Apollo record you mentioned with James Brown, like that's 
you know, mm-hmm. I'm not watching a concert film, but I'm like getting closer to that level of like an immersive experience. Like what, what was an audience for this? Like, God, what, 62, like 60 years ago? Like, you know, it's a piece of history you want to kind of take in. Hearing those yes. prisoners at live at Folsom Prison, like that's, you know, yes. you can't separate that from the experience. No, that's, and that's the reason to make a live album. Otherwise, it's just like, okay, these are worse versions of the recorded music. Uh, I mean, it's got to be a wildly different sound or it has to have this ambiance. And this does both of those things. Uh, and there's still there's still like an early 60s vibe to it, though. And, and that's what's weird about it. Like there's a little bit of a sweetness yeah. mixed into the chaos and there's just nothing else like it. Uh, wow. th- this album is so important to me, I, I think because it surprised me. It took an artist that I already loved and showed me that I didn't know the half of it. Yeah. And we talk about like Bowie as a chameleon. And and this guy was a chameleon. He just didn't get the chance to show it. And and I hate to compare them because they're both incomparable. But, you know, you saw Otis Redding towards the end of his life playing Monterey Pop, 67, getting in with the Psychedelic Kids, having a song like Sitting on the, Do- Sitting on the Dock of the Bay, which... For me, even though it's it's played so much on radio and is ubiquitous, that's like a somewhat unclassifiable kind of sound and song. And and I feel as if Sam Cooke, had he lived, he would have been trendsetting and pointing music in whatever way he wanted. Yeah. And and this record shows he was capable of that. And it hurts that we didn't get to hear what might have been, but we have this album to so we can see that side of the yeah, guy. I had never, like I said, I enjoy Sam Cooke. I probably know it, dozens of his songs. I'd never heard of this album. I, I really want, I think you'll really dig it. Um, I think some of those songs that like, that feel kind of syrupy, you hear them in this context and you're like, that's, that was his intention when he wrote it. There's one more song I'll play for you um, and then I'll shut up <laughs> about it. Uh, it's another tune that the recorded version is is kind of um, straightforward and it's uh, called Nothing Can Change This Love. I just keep I just keep thinking like oh that's the way the song's supposed to be heard because I am familiar yes. with all these tunes like the studio version yeah yeah holy shit yeah I I feel like if if our listeners do nothing else today uh listen to bring it on home to me vamp and just that whole tune from from this record and just see how you see how it makes you feel because it's it's such a a complicated emotion that i i feel like it uh it brings up uh it is like the most secular uh non-secular vibe (laughs) i know what you're saying yeah you know what i mean like I, i feel like i hear god in that song and um I don't, I'm not sure if there's a better compliment I can pay to music than that. So I'm going to end there. Uh, 
and we'll get on to a lighter <laughs> we'll get on to a lighter topic and I feel great yeah, I feel very you, like that was that was cathartic you for me. I needed it. to talk about that I needed to talk about that album it's just so important to me you pulled it off and we didn't lose uh, 15 minutes of audio either <laughs> I got the whole oh, thing <laughs> you're too hard on yourself man you're too oh, hard no, on yourself no. Like I said, I'll, I'll, I got plenty of time coming up to rant about Japanese bands. But yes, I, uh, Sam Cooke is the man. He's great live. That was, a, that was a good time all around. So thank you for that. Uh, you are not going to like what I show you today nearly as much. <laughs> we're, we're taking a sharp turn now. Great. Uh, I, t- to start today off, you know, I have a pretty... This is not a loaded question. This is an honest uh, question that uh, I'm curious maybe you have an answer for. So my question for today is, can actors make good music? And Mm -hmm. what I mean is somebody who we all know primarily as an actor, someone who's in film, TV, on the stage, that's how they started, that's their deal. Anybody like that, have they ever happened to make good music? Let me answer your question with a question. All right. Okay, is there anything more unnerving than someone introducing themselves as an actor-musician? I don't mind it, man. I don't listen to half the things that people in show business say. <laughs> They're just talking blah, blah, blah on award show stages. And I just, I'll see the work. I don't, you know, what they say in interviews, okay. but I don't give much thought to. But that, that bothers you? It's very big of you. It, it, it's, it doesn't, it it's, feels like a red flag. It feels like a red flag. I'll, I'll be honest. I, I prejudge if I hear <laughs> that. Yeah. Um. So basically, it sounds like you don't have an answer for me. You're you're not thinking of any bands that would fit my uh, my criteria. Here. I mean, I don't know. Like there are musicians who can. Act, oh, tons! Uh, but I think we could go down the roster. Uh, David Bowie, he's a fantastic actor. Yeah, he's a that's a good example. Jareth, the Goblin King, forever. Uh, he's Nikola Tesla. <laughs> uh, sure. I mean Dolly Parton. Sure. Crossed over in that way. Iggy Pop's not Iggy bad. Iggy Pop. Oh, to- Tom oh, Waits. Oh, oh, oh. Tom, Tom Waits. Waits is great. Uh, he plays the devil in a Terry Gilliam movie, The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. He's totally compelling in that. You got him in Down by Law. He's amazing. Everything I've seen him in, he's, he's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Tom Waits might be the, the best example. Janelle Monet. Yeah. She's great in Hidden yes. Figures. Yeah, she's great. Homecoming. All right. So I think I'm making my point there. You got plenty of people from music who can make who can cross over like that there's there's tons mm-hmm. of examples but then you got like i guess russell crowe has a band keanu reeves has a band it's they have bands. they have bands i don't know if we're gonna say that they're great no i mean the best i've never listened to them i'm sure in certain contexts they're just they're fine and they're competent uh you know johnny depp plays a little guitar uh, i mm-hmm. guess he even played on Oasis albums. There's plenty of actors that can sing really well, even if they don't write their own stuff or whatever else. Like Eddie Murphy kills it in Dreamgirls. Um, sure. You get the point. A lot, a lot of I don't inherently have an issue with actors dipping their toes in uh, in the music world. Um, lots of great singers are actors, but it's it's another thing to just say, I, this is like my full artistic deal. I'm songwriting. I have a hand in the producing. Like you don't really see an actor, capital A actor really get into that. I feel like. Sure. Not a, not a, like a known entity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I welcome somebody to contradict that, but I thought about it 
without doing any research for five minutes. So I consider that pretty conclusive. Yeah, that's expert advice. Yeah. Um, I think so. So with all that said, I'm on the hunt for good music from, from actors. Um, but I also just, I kind of want to explore this world for a minute. You know, what leads an actor to go beyond, you know, the movie making and even just doing music for a movie to actually release music as product and to, you know, make albums and do that whole singer, songwriter, artist, visionary thing. And um, two examples of this that were particularly of interest to me this week that I uh, checked out a little bit was uh, an album by Bruce Willis. Oh boy. I, okay. I think I am somewhat familiar with this yeah. album. I, it's become a little uh, bit of a meme. You know, we're not going to talk about Bruno, except yes, we are. We're going to talk about the return of Bruno. Okay. Uh, so that's a uh, Bruce Willis debut studio album from 1987. Uh, it was released with Motown and it had like an accompanying HBO one hour special. And so I was kind of diving Wait. into the, and it's, you know, there's a music video of Bruce Willis performing a song from this online that I found years ago. It's a bit of a meme. We'll, we'll dive in. We'll take a closer look in a second here, but I was intrigued by, uh, by the work of Bruce Willis who recently retired. Retired from music or acting? <laughs> well, retired from everything now. He's, uh, he's, okay. yeah, he's, he's settled up, but, uh, but he was actually dead the whole time, so Bruce you know, Willis I mean, can we really dead. say he retired? Oh boy! Well, we don't have time to get into that uh, conspiracy. That's our other podcast, right? For for after hours. Yeah. Uh, but sorry. So you got you got Bruce. We're going to talk about Bruce's music in a second here. But I wanted to compare his work in music to another artist who's released a few albums, actually, in an EP. Um, he's got quite the discography going at this point. Uh, a one Steven Seagal. Oh my God. All right. So, uh, I have, I have seen one YouTube video of him playing just the shittiest blues music I've ever heard. Uh, that, is that what you're, are you referring is that to the that? video where like his guitar isn't working for like 30 seconds and then it also looks like his hands aren't touching it the right way and he's he looks like a marionette yeah. yes it, lo it looks like when you go to chuck e cheese like the animals that play the yeah it looks uh incongruous like something's wrong yeah well there's a lot of things wrong with steven seagal uh but yeah I got to say, I so I checked out the music of bruce willis i checked out the music of steven seagal and i have not decided which I like better, or to uh, to quote my favorite YouTube channel, Red Letter Media, which one is the best of the worst? Hmm. So this is a Willis versus Seagal showdown today, and I'd like to uh, invite okay. invite you on this journey with me, and maybe we'll we'll get to the bottom. We'll see who wins out. Okay. Um. So I would say I'm excited, <laughs> but uh, I'm not. Um. I have listened to all this stuff like once, and a, we, I, I didn't have a lot of fun, but I feel like I've, I've picked the right kind of selection to, uh, to give everybody an idea of what we're getting into here. To horrify all the <laughs> listeners. Hey, come on. A lot of people like Bruce Willis. Uh, Die Hard is an absolute classic. Um, yeah, but he wasn't like singing in that. No, it's, it's, uh, it's confusing to me why... Uh, and it's not just like, oh, offhandedly, Bruce Willis sings. It's He's got this whole alter, alter ego 
when he's got a whole fake last name too. It's this character. It's like a Ziggy Stardust. Yeah, thing? like a Bruto Rattellini. Uh, this is the plot of the film. He's a legendary blues singer slash musician who influenced a number of other famous musicians. Um, I don't want to make you too sad by listing all the artists who showed up for this special, but it's a lot. It's Elton John, Phil Collins, Brian Wilson, the Bee Gees, Graham Nash, Stephen Stills, Ringo Starr. Anyway, this was a whole big deal. This was like um, Bruce Willis is coming off of Moonlighting, which is a show that I've heard people watch, but I'm not 50 years old. But it's like this is right before Die Hard and the, the Bruce Willis legacy you know, solidifies. But this is like, this is a big push. This yeah. is, check out this side of this guy. Why did, can I ask, why did Motown release it? Well, I think Willis himself is a big fan of Motown. That's the sense I'm getting. That's like kind of his uh, musical home in a lot of ways. And that was enough to I justify having him on the label. I mean, you tell me, man. I don't know what went on bes- behind the scenes here, but. Uh, okay. I don't know. Wasn't this the time Motown was like trying to get into movies more? Like there's that uh, weird uh, kung fu movie, The Last Dragon, that was like produced by Barry Gordy and stuff. They were, they were, they were, they were trying to do the crossover. They were trying to get into okay. Uh, okay. The pictures maybe. That's my best guess. I am in, uh, That's a good guess. I'm very ignorant this week on, uh, on all this, but I'm curious if nothing else. Okay. So we are going to listen to... Let's listen to Bruce do uh, Under the Boardwalk. That's a classic we all know and love, right? Yeah. So let's listen to him sing his heart out for Under the Boardwalk. Let's see if he does it justice here. I'm going to set up the YouTube party. Hey, man, Steven Seagal. <laughs> yeah, that's the other guy we got to talk guy. about. He can't, it's, it's not, it's not, at least Bruce Willis has some good movies. That's true. Steven Seagal really has nothing that I'm a fan of, uh, no. to be honest. But... No. Here we go. Under the boardwalk. Got some seagulls. Ocean sounds. He looks he looks cool as shit. Oh, he's, he totally cover. looks He's cool when he's uh acting. When the sun beats down and melts the tar up on the And the streets get so hot your tired feet were fireproof I hate this. You hate it. I I hate you it. Hate it. Yes. I I didn't think I, I would. Jesus, I didn't think I would hate it as much as I do. The boardwalk. I mean. It just sounds like someone doing karaoke. Uh, it sounds like Bruce Willis doing karaoke is what it sounds like. <sighs> yeah, so it's like, can he sing? I think so. He can sing the way someone who is good at karaoke can sing in that he mostly hits all of the notes and then doesn't like 15 to 20% of the time. Here's the thing with Mr. Bruce Willis. Can he look cool running in bare feet while buildings blowing up? Hell yeah. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. Uh, can he dance? 
Can he write music? Nope, he doesn't write any originals in this album. Does he play an instrument? Does he... So what's left? Like, is he really attractive and sexy? Nah, that's not really his thing. What well, do we, I mean, some people I mean, might say... In a certain context, but he's not like just uh, like young, sure. hot pop star. Yeah. Right, right. What are we doing here? What? 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 Are, why isn't he in a movie? What are we doing with this album? You know, is it like, and it's like a concept album, right? I mean, it, it's, it's a concept it, album. He's got this character where he's this legendary like blues R and B figure who's influenced all these other musicians. And yeah, what what's going on here? <laughs> that would work if it uh, if it were a comedy, like if it was like a Spinal Tap thing. But the thing about this is it doesn't seem, and I haven't, is there an accompanying movie that comes There is a, like a, there's an hour long HBO special. special, which good luck trying to f- dig that up. Uh, I'd be surprised if okay. HBO still. Well, they probably deleted <laughs> yeah. it. Uh, I, I, if, if it's like tongue in cheek, maybe it could work. Like if it, if it's like a comedy, maybe. It's good enough to be like, oh, he's singing the scene. He's singing the song for a scene in the movie and he's not bad. And then that invites right. a situation to happen, but no, he's not. He's not bad. It's just, also the instrumentation, like the the band, is just like total cookie cutters, eighty crap, eighties crap, like just yeah, paint by That's numbers. That's a problem too. It doesn't yeah. do him any. It doesn't do him any favors. Uh, and and also when the, when you have that kind of production where everything is like really synthetic, like it could work if your voice is incredible. Because there's not a lot that's happening around it. Right, then you get to so... focus on a great singing voice. Right, it's which... such a tight production style. But but who the hell is this guy? Yeah. So yeah. Well, he's Bruno, and he's coming back. He's returning. So was this Bruce Willis's idea that he just kept begging his agents to green light? Or was somebody like, hey, try this, Bruce. This could be the next thing in your career. Who did it come from? Uh, it seems like it came from him. It does because how it? how can you? Um, well, because you need. Look, I, I it's hard to sing, it, and it's hard to put yourself out there and say uh, I'm a singer and release an album and do a special with Barry Gibb or whatever, whoever it was. <laughs> like that takes a lot of guts, and I don't think you can necessarily just be talked into that. I think you have to truly believe it. Like you look at all the people on American Idol that you know somebody will go on and, and it seems like they've never sung before in front of anyone before this moment uh like you really have to go in and and truly believe it to be that uh off course you know what i mean like i feel like this was his idea and it probably was for a while yeah he did release one more album a couple years later called if it don't kill you it just makes you stronger Mm, it should have been called the the exit of bruno (laughs) Yeah, so that's that's the Bruce Willis thing in the nutshell. Uh, that's whack. I, I dislike it a lot more than I thought oh I would. I, I thought this was going to be like a wash, like because Steven Seagal is just, I, I know he's horrible. <laughs> uh, but this was just like, it, it's, it was like almost kind of smug too, because like it seems like he's showcasing his voice. Yeah, it's, uh, I really, I wonder, because I think he performed live too doing this. And I really, I wonder how many people still thought it was freaking awesome. Uh, mm. it, he did a second album. So I think it's, you know, it must've sold decent. I wonder how many people were like, hell yeah, this, the guy from Moonlighting, I love it. And then how many, you know, snobs were like us, how many people right. could kind of see through what was going on. Well, 
I will say before we move yeah. on to Seagal, mm-hmm. uh, it does. He does sound like himself. Like it, there's no. I don't. It's not a ton of affectation. Not a ton. Yeah. Like it's not. It's, it's not like he's trying to sound like someone else. It does. Like if I heard his voice, I'd be like, oh, maybe this is. Is this Bruce Willis? You know, like yeah. it, it sort of sounds. He sounds like himself. Uh, so that's one. I guess you could put that in a check column yeah. for this, and that he's not. Uh, you know, it, it it is authentic. He's not overly trying to, you know, mimic Sam Cooke or something. Sure, right. That would be pretty bad. Well, we're going to listen to one more uh, tune right now. We're going to listen to a song from the debut album of actor, musician, and martial artist Steven Seagal. This is his album, Songs from the Crystal Cave. All of those things, all of those titles should have question marks after them. <laughs> uh, this was released in 2005. Um, this was followed up by an album called Mojo Priest. And then oh, pretty, rec- I hate it. <laughs> pretty recently in 2017, he had an EP called uh, Ant and Artist. And if you look at the cover, first of all, it's an absolute ripoff of the Black Keys Brothers, where it's like just a black background and like uh, Cooper Black font in white and red. Like it's just very like plain lettering. So what you see on the cover of the Anton Artist EP is any great warrior is also a scholar and a poet. Dot, dot, dot. Is he waiting for someone to say? And an artist, yeah. Steven Seagal. <laughs> right, okay. Yeah. So, right. but we're not going to listen to that. We're going to listen to a tune from Crystal Cave, songs from the Crystal Cave. Okay. Um, I don't want to really give you any more context than that. Let's, uh, let's do this tune here. This is called Strut. And I'm going to send you a link. Oh, man, he called an album Mojo Priest. Because <laughs> you know he was talking about himself. Oh, you think? Like, I am a Mojo Priest, and he is so not so not. He's that. also already, like, in his 50s, mid-50s by this point, too. You playing it? Yeah, are you hearing it? Unfortunately, yeah. This is making me very uncomfortable. I need to like... I'm going to have to go for a walk after this. So, all right, let's see. Yeah, I think I'm going to pause there. So first thing to note is it's a lot of not him in the song. It's uh, For this, it was a... It's a collaboration with Lady Saw, who's a Jamaican dancehall diva. It sounds like he's just kind of wandered into the studio <laughs> near a live mic and was just saying things. Oh, it gets real sexual real quick. It does. Someone, Whoever put this YouTube video up uh, included the lyrics below as if it were, uh, you know, Joni Mitchell or something. And we needed these stanzas <laughs> to hear. Yeah, the uh, the lyrics are a little explicit. If you want to you want to check out the lyrics to Strut on your own, you go ahead. But uh, shout out to the top YouTube comments by Awesome Avenger, which says there is no beginning to his talent. That's so funny. Um, well, hey, so 
it's pretty weird, right? It's uh, you're like Steven Seagal. He plays guitar. He does shitty blues because all those old, angry, talentless guys seem to like that stuff. But you know, he's getting into dance hall. I'll tell you another song on this album had like Bollywood singers at a certain point. It's a very world music thing going on here. He's 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 globetrotting. Oh, that's actually kind of cool. I isn't it good for good for Stevie? You know that's that's pretty uh, it's pretty artistically brave of him. Is this the only dance hall song? Uh, there is a few. There's a couple. I think maybe he uh, he spent some time in Jamaica and uh, t- took a liking <laughs> to that uh, to that style. But okay. let's uh, let's do one more song called "Don't You Cry." Oh. And uh, I feel like you know because there's so much going on in this album. If you hear this one more song, I feel like this gives you the whole okay. experience. Okay. Well, this is too. clearly worse. Uh, I don't think there's really any. Well, hold on. We'll, we'll wait till we get to the end here. Oh, is this song? Is this like a day in the life that Stevie Seagal's a day in the life you're sending me right now? Uh, uh, he is a brilliant psychedelic pop musician. Yeah. All right. So this is "Don't You Cry." Now, is this song written for people who chose to listen to the album? Hey. <laughs> This is shit, but it, I do think that this song is better than the Bruce Willis one. I would agree. It, you know what it reminds me of? Uh, remember that song? I don't even remember the name of this band. Oh, Vertical Horizon. Doesn't it kind of sound like Vertical Horizon? I have no idea what that is. It's just kind of a dumb band name. <laughs> uh, they're like... Oh, man, what year were they? You're not even listening to the song, Matt. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm missing. I'm, I'm missing the message. All right, that's enough of that. It's, it sounds like, um, like late '90s. When, when did this record come out? 2005. And I'll stop you right there. Here's my theory. So yeah, here's the thing with this album. He wrote. He wrote. Excuse me. He wrote or co-wrote every song. He had a lot of co-writers. Um, this guy who co-wrote this one like, was on for one other song in the album that kind of sounded like this. Uh, I think he's just a total Smashing Pumpkins 90s alternative rock okay. de- devotee who needed, a, who needed a quick buck, who got uh, brought in. It's not, it's, not, it's not good, but it's not, it's not the last song. I am surprised that Mr. Seagal, however this went down, that he got out of people's way enough that like somebody halfway competent could come in and just like, you know, do their quick thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it was, you know, it got finished and everything. Um, mm-hmm. This is, yeah, so this is an album of, of many genres. He's, he's got more bluesy numbers in there too, some more rock and stuff. Um, uh, Bruce, so is, who are you going to choose? Are you going to choose Bruce Willis or Steven Seagal? Who's, who's the better musician? Well, you show me two. Um, Do we need to hear another Bruce number? Uh, please no. <laughs> I think a better musician. See, oh, now, so now I'm in my head. Uh-huh. It's not that easy, is it? It's not. 
because Bruce Willis, he doesn't even play anything, right? He was just sort of singing. He shows up for music videos. So I'll give him that. He He'll learn choreography and make faces and, you know, Steven Seagal's not, not getting up from his chair. He's not making him more of a musician, certainly, <laughs> uh, him dancing. But, geez, I, I don't You know what? The Bruce Willis one is worse. That's, that's what I'm starting to come around you know to. I why? never thought I would, I would think this going in. Because here's why. Because Steven Seagal, it's, it sucks so hard, but he's going for it. He is. Like, he's going for it. Like, that, that song that was really awful. Like, he's, re- he's really going for it. It's, like, offensive, but uh, he's getting after it. <laughs> and he's, he's putting himself into it, whereas the Bruce Willis... It's a Willis, personal vision. Yeah. It, it, feels, it does feel like he, he really believes in what he's doing. The Bruce Willis one was sort of like, I'm an actor who wants to do this project. It's... Uh, and I think that makes it worse. It's like, uh, yeah... Introvert genius, uh, uh, indie artist up against the big major label conglomerate. And, uh, That's exactly what is happening yeah, here. Steven yeah. Seagal is it's the, also the like, underdog. It's when something is, and it's also like the, like the room or something where it's like, what, when is something so bad that it's actually engaging? I don't, I don't think this makes it there. Uh, I don't think it's quite there, but I would show this song to friends and you know we would be engaged in listening to it whereas with the Bruce Willis one i think people would just like wonder what i was doing if yeah. i showed them that what's your angle here longo um right yeah it's uh i got to say in the the ep with the stupid title and an artist uh, listen a little bit of that it's it's not good but it's pretty chill it's just chill kind of folky middle of the road you know blues not doing anything too ambitious but mm. he's at least bringing the competent musicians in yeah what are these phone calls like you think when when because obviously this is seagal you know going through his bucket list of proving to himself you know in different ways that he's awesome okay next i have to do music and be an awesome musician so obviously nobody's suggesting that this happened besides him but how, how are they roping folks into this you know St- uh stevie wonder provides harmonica on one of these songs uh. I forgot to mention God. that earlier. Maybe people are, that's insane. <laughs> Maybe people are like, uh, one, they might be intimidated by him because he might like wrist lock them or whatever it is that he does. <laughs> the Aikido, I think he does in his, the half-assed Aikido he does in his films. Um, but also it's, it's, it's probably like so out of left field that maybe it takes people by surprise and they're like, yeah, I, whatever, sure. <laughs> it, it pay. I guess it paid. Yeah, still I mean that that songwriter got his cut on this record, so you hope. Yeah, and that song was perfectly competent. That was a perfectly competent tune. All right. Well, uh, you out there listening to this, if you think otherwise, if you think uh, Bruce Willis deserves a better shot, maybe I, I showed us the wrong song. But if if you got disagreements, I this is one thing I really don't have a dog in this fight, so I'm curious to hear all sides. Mm. Um, sure. I, I will never be revisiting any of this music ever again. But uh, I think uh, I think that's all I got. So what did we learn today? I learned that uh, that was a pretty. It, it wasn't hard to win you over to the Seagal side. I, I learned that you're a really big Seagal fan, and that's how I should talk about you. I learned that too. Yeah. Um, I mean, I you know you you he doesn't do different styles. I mean, there's no style that he seems to have that he does well. 
but he does a lot of different styles. So he has a diverse musical palette of different, different shades of shit. Uh, and Bruce Willis just has that one, but I mean, the Bruce Willis song wasn't, it wasn't terrible. I, I want to communicate that. It's just like, it just sounded like karaoke. It's pointless. Yeah. Which was, I, I guess in a way, like slightly more, slightly worse, I think, because you kind of want to hear someone going for it. And this is at least bad enough to share with people, I think. There you go. All right, Matt, it's been a long, harrowing journey here. We, we started out good and then it got a little rough, but uh, I had fun. Yeah. Um, we also said a lot of pretty, pretty brazen things. So I just want to put it yeah. out there that I could be wrong now. Oh, come on. But I don't think so. Such a long pause. Uh, Got to sit in it. And I'm going to say, um, oh boy, what did I used to say? Oh, see, see you, see you later, suckers. Was that it? Yeah, was that it? No, your catchphrase is, what's my catchphrase again? Oh, that's right. Yeah. And I will never forget that because I'll just always be forgetting. So we're, we're good there. Oh, and listen to the greatest live album of all time. Yes. Which is Sam Cooke's Live at the Harlem Square Club. Uh, definitely please do that definitely follow up on that the rest is uh, the rest is just some some silliness but uh, while you're at doing things that we ask you to do uh, please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done mm-hmm. that already uh, give us a nice rating leave us a nice review uh, I'm not going to tell you how to do that you can just google it but uh, we, we appreciate it it's always mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's helpful give us a little boost get, get more years on this um, and you can also follow Losing My Opinion on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. It's just Losing My Opinion wherever you go. That's the handle. And uh, it's been a hell of a ride today. Thank you for joining me, sir. It's been a, it's been a wild ride. I'm going to go eat some Panera, some cold Panera that's, that's waiting for me upstairs. All right. Do it up. Cannot be more excited. Tell me what you really want all night. I'm in the way nice.